Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode number 25. I'm your host, Derek Moore. Welcome back for another edition. Last week, we had part one of Jay Pestercelli and myself, my guest that week, talking about the some of the myths, really, of the 60-40 portfolio. We, we're going to have part two coming up shortly. Probably will drop, uh, that will be the next one that drops. So if you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's episode, I encourage you to do that. And you can find that in the archives or also I may link to it. But we'll also have Jay back on. We'll finish with part two and we'll post that one as well. Also, last week I mentioned at the opening, it was episode 23. That was actually 24. Uh, so this is actually episode 25. We re- made it to 25. And this week, we're going to be talking a little bit about some of these unicorn IPOs and what an S1 is, what you can learn from an S1 filing, and so on and so forth. And I'll actually go back into sort of the archives and talk about two particular dot-com companies, One, two that really diametrically couldn't have had more different outcomes when you think about over the long term, the growth of the business and what happened to one versus what happened to the other. So we're hearing a lot of news right now about the whole idea of unicorn IPOs. And really, if you watch CNBC or you watch uh, you know, Fox Business, Bloomberg, any of those, you're hearing about these companies who are fairly popular. Uh, and popular, I mean, well-known, your Ubers, your Lyfts. Uh, of course, Lyft uh, already did an IPO. They came out already. They're trading. But you've got Airbnb. Uh, Pinterest uh, is another one. Uh, there's several others. So these companies that have sort of been up-and-coming companies are now starting to come through the IPO market. And one of the things that happens when a company files for an IPO is they actually have to file something called an S1 form. And so if you want to Google, let's say, any, you know, whether it's Snapchat or Google itself, Amazon, as I'll talk about, Lyft, uh, by the time you're listening to this, Uber's S1 probably will be out already. And so if you Google Uber S1 filing, you can get a look at that. And a lot of people are really interested in these filings because let's face it, up until now, as a private company, you really had no idea what their sales were, whether or not they're profitable, and maybe a little bit more about how they make money or don't make money, and maybe some of their vision for the future. So I'll go through a couple of those things. You know, an S-1 filing, again, you can Google it online, and it's uh, it, you can kind of go back uh, on any number of companies and find these. And an S-1 is going to have a couple things. Well, first, it's going to have the consolidated statement of operating data. And in that, you're going to have things like revenue. That's interesting, right? Uh, the cost of revenue or you know, your revenue and what it costs. And within that cost of revenue, you might have the breakdown of what they're spending, whether it's marketing, research and development, uh, any other thing. You're also going to have a balance sheet. So you're going to have the assets and the liabilities, the cash and cash equivalents, things like that. And of course, uh, within the S1, the other thing that you're going to look at is, and it's, it's sort of an interesting read, is the risk factors, risk factors, meaning what does the company put down as the risk? And some of these are boilerplate, meaning you know, you'd expect to see these on, on a filing. But some of them are a little bit enlightening, too. And we'll look back at uh, one in particular from the dot-com era, which uh, many of you probably fondly or not so fondly remember. 
And then, you know, the use of proceeds. In other words, you're going to raise money from this initial public offering. What are you going to use or what's the company going to use the proceeds for, do they say? And so that's one of the things that's, uh, that's sort of interesting as well. And then, of course, you'll, you'll see the size of the offering. And it, in other words, the size, meaning how much money is, uh, how much money in shares is being put out. So, you know, if the company's putting, let's say, a million shares out and it's $100 a share, well, it's a $100 million offering, right? And how much is, uh, is being divested from, from the company. So one of the ones that uh, most recently was put out there was Lyft. Lyft, of course, is one of the two major, you know, ride-sharing apps. So you need a, a instead of getting a taxi, you get a Lyft or you get an Uber. And like I said, they're already public, but their S one is interesting, and it's a good example of some of the information that you'll sort of get on here. So if you Google S one Lyft, you're going to pull that up, and one of the things you'll find in there is the consolidated statement of operating data. And in that, uh, the way they've put it, sometimes they do it uh, yearly, sometimes they do it quarterly, but the way that they've done it is they've done, let's say, year-end 16, 17, and 18. And so their revenue, I believe this is in thousands, so this is $2.1 billion was their revenue, and then you, you kind of look down and uh, their, their cost and expensive, in other words, the cost of revenue was roughly $1.2 billion, but then total cost and expenses is $3.1 billion. And so they have a loss from operations, uh, looks like about $977 million. And that equates to a net loss per share uh, attributable to common stockholders, basic and diluted, of about $43 per share of a loss for 2018. And I will say that this, uh, you know, the, the intention of doing this podcast on this subject is not necessarily go through and say, hey, is Lyft a good IPO or a bad IPO? That's a, that's a different discussion. But really, it's more, I've been getting a lot of questions from people lately on, hey, all these IPOs, like, how do we even know if they make money or what are the chances they'll make money? And so sometimes the S1 and those who follow these companies it's kind of like Christmas morning when they get the S1 release because then they finally get a look at all these financials. So we'll see the revenue. We'll see the cost of the revenue. And then, so for example, if we look down at the total cost, you're going to see that you know they spent uh, about $800 million on sales and marketing. They have research and development, operations and support, general and administrative. And so different types of things there. And then you're going to see whether or not they have a a net gain or a net loss. Now, the other thing that you'll have on here is the balance sheet. And so consolidated balance sheet data. And so you can see, it looks like this is as of December 31st of 2018. They had, uh, it looks like this is in thousands as well. So they had about 517 uh, million. Yes, 517 up uh, 517,000 in cash and cash equivalents and total liabilities of about 1.4 million. Uh, maybe this is thousands or uh, it could be thousands. Uh, the reason why I'm saying that is this column does not have in thousands next to it. Uh, so I'm not exactly sure, but you can take a look at that. And then one of the things that you also can, can gleam from this is 
maybe a little bit about the company as well. And so it's interesting that one of the things they do with their numbers here is they actually tell you the active riders, I mean, people who are taking rides. And it looks like this is in millions. So they 18.6 million rides in, uh, looks like this is December, uh, three months and a December 31st. And then they give you your revenue per rider, per active rider. And then they give you the just the number of rides that they're doing. And so for the first time, you sort of get a little bit of an idea of what the value of each customer or rider is. And then you go into the risk factors. And so some of these risk factors are, as I said, they're a little bit boilerplate. Like, you know, we have a history of net losses and we may not be able to achieve or maintain profitability in the future. Now, again, I'm no indication of whether this is a good stock or a bad stock. That's, uh, you know, I don't follow the stock. I haven't looked at it that much. Uh, but they do point out that they have incurred losses each year since their inception, and they may not be able to achieve or maintain profitability in the future. Now, that is something that you'd see, uh, for, you know, for a company that's that's coming public. Uh, but they also mention, look, you know, I'm just reading off the risk factors. We face intense competition and could lose market share to competitors, which could adversely affect our uh, our position. And they say our results of operations vary and are unpredictable from period to period. And they also, uh, well, you know, you kind of get the idea. Not, not going to go through each one of these. But I did think it would be interesting to sort of take a look back at two companies in particular from the dot-com era. And one of those is Amazon. And the other is, uh, if you remember, the, the sock puppet, Pets.com. And it's interesting. I was talking about this company recently, and uh, somebody said, "Well, Pets.com aren't they? Uh, isn't that a website you can buy pet food stuff in?" Well, I believe it was uh, one of the pet companies actually bought the domain, but Pets.com went out of business. More on them later, though. We'll talk about them. So, if we look at uh, we look at Amazon, so remember we just talked about Lyft. Uh, you should Google Uber S one. That will probably be out. That's your next big chance to. Uh, Take a look at one of these IPO companies that are coming out. But Amazon came out, I believe it was 97 when they IPO'd. And so I Googled S1 Amazon, and thanks to the internet, the power of the internet, it is available online. And so when we take a look at their numbers, and this was kind of interesting. You know, we just said Lyft had sales of, what do we say, over $2 billion. And obviously, their cost was higher than their sales, and so they, they were showing a net loss. Uh, Amazon was, was showing a loss, I believe, maybe a small amount of a gain. Well, it looks like they were showing a loss of about $0.26 cents per share. But what was interesting, I had to do a double take on this. You know, They went public. They had, this is in thousands, they're saying, so uh, $15,746,000. So just uh, under 16 million in sales in December, year ended December 31st, 1996. And to me, that was fascinating to think they, they went public. You know, 95, they had, it looks like $511,000 in net sales, net sales. I mean, I'd, I'd have to, from memory, I mean, we all know that Amazon is one of the largest market capitalized companies in the world right now, you know, them, Apple, and a few others, you take their stock price times the number of shares outstanding. And, but this was sort of interesting. Now their cost of sales, 
So let's see. Looks like they had uh, some operating expenses. They had some cost. And their net loss was five, uh, about $5.7 million. So looking back, though, at, uh, at Amazon, and we all know, you know, Amazon certainly is a company that uh, uh, has been successful, right? I mean, they've, they've stayed around. Their stock price has been doing well. Uh, again, I, I don't know. I'm not saying to buy or sell Amazon here, but certainly they, uh, they've stood the test of time when many dot-coms have not. But it was sort of fascinating to take a look back and look at some of the risk factors that they put on here. Uh, by the way, one of their, their things that they put on here, uh, they put growth of internet and online com- commerce. Now, you think back in late 90s, the internet, or at least how people used it, was still a little bit new. And one of the things that they said is the internet is an increasingly significant global medium for communications, content, and online commerce. You think? Uh, that, that certainly worked out well. And, you know, one of the, th- the other part that's, uh, that's on there, they talked about their strategy. And so this is something else that you maybe potentially can get an idea about. And it's at Amazon.com's objective is to be the leading online retailer of information-based products and services with an initial focus on books. Um, and so they, uh, they're talking about delivering on a compelling value proposition, brand recognition, and uh, they want to create a superior economic model. Uh, it's interesting too, they, one of the risk factors that was in there, and we all, I believe that online retailers now have to collect sales tax. It used to be if they didn't have an operation in a state, maybe a distribution center, they didn't have to collect sales tax. I believe that's changed. But in their risks, they actually say, you know, in the future, if they've got to collect sales tax, that could be a potential negative. And they also mention as they grow and have more distribution centers, that would mean, you know, based, based upon the old rules, they would have to actually go in and, and collect sales tax. Uh, so they thought that was a potential, potential, you know, pitfall there. Um, and then, you know, the other thing here, let's see, they talk about the management team as a risk. And not, not so far as, you know, the individuals themselves, but just saying, hey, they're a little bit newer. And that is one of the risks that, uh, that the company actually cited. We've got a new management team, uh, not as much experience. And so that was listed in there as well. Uh, they also talked about their sort of the, the adoption, the continued adoption of the Internet. So I'd encourage you to, to take a look at those. Uh, I was going to do Google as well, but uh, you know that would that would run a little more in time. But the one that I really wanted to get back to was Pets.com. Pets.com, for those of you who were not around during the dot-com era or didn't follow the markets, it was sort of one of the, it was an interesting time in that a lot of these companies or a lot of these stocks that just put a dot-com at the end of it all of a sudden had a lot of interest from investors. And many of these companies didn't have any earnings at all or really weren't sure if they were going to ever be able to to earn anything. But Pets.com was essentially a pet store that that went online. And their offering came out, let me see from my notes, February of 2000, their IPO came out. And the value of the deal was about $82.5 million. 
But what was interesting is this company started operations, I believe, in February of 99. And then through December 99 is all they had on their S1 because they really weren't in operations for, for very long. I'll give you the punchline, uh, but they went bankrupt. So they started in February 99. They IPO'd in Feb of 2000. And then by November of 2000, they actually went through bankruptcy. And, but the joke, so I don't want to call it the joke, but it, they used to do these commercials and it was a, a sock puppet. And they did these uh, pets.com commercials. I think they spent a lot of money and they did a Super Bowl commercial. But when they came out, uh, it looks like their numbers through December of uh, 99, they had a loss of about $46 a share. So they come out and they've got losses. Let's see what their sales were. So from February of 1799, that's inception through December 31st of 99, their sales were 5.7 million. That was their sales, 5.7 million. Their operating loss, uh, let's see here. Yeah, they lost about $46 a share. And so they're, you know, basically they, uh, they were losing money and they weren't around very long. So what's really interesting, though, is when we get to the risk factors. And risk factors, you know, you look back and you say, well, yeah, that's kind of interesting. One of the risk factors to the business was we only began selling our products in February of 99. Remember, they're IPOing in February of 2000. And we operate in a new and rapidly evolving market, uh, which makes it difficult for investors to determine whether we will accomplish our objectives. And... The other thing, of course, they say is we have a history of losses. We expect significant increase in our cost and expenses to result in continuing losses for at least the next four years. So here's our offering. We've been in business for roughly a year. Uh, we made $5.7 million. Of course, it costs us much more to, to attain that revenue, so we are op- operating in a net loss. And we're probably going to have losses for the next four years. So that's interesting, right? And... Uh, you know, a couple other things that they put in here is they're going to have to open up additional distribution centers and expand the distribution centers um, uh, that they have. One of the really things, and it wasn't really, I, I sort of started reading this, but one of the things they disclosed is provide our customers with shipping below our actual cost to attract customers. And one of the things back then, and I remember hearing this, uh, we think about the most likely purchases for cat and dog owners is either dog food or cat food or cat litter. And somebody uh, had written a book about sort of the dot-com era. And one of the things the author pointed out was they essentially were selling bags of sand, you know, dog food and cat food and shipping it out. And here they're saying we're providing our customers with shipping below our actual cost to attract customers. In other words, they're they're taking a loss or they're eating the cost of some of that shipping. So every time they make a sale, it's not necessarily uh, doing that much for them. And the let's look at some of the other risk factors. Uh, this, this was interesting too. Since we currently operate only one distribution center located in the San Francisco Bay Area, we are susceptible to the risk of damage to our distribution center. In other words, we have one distribution center, and if there's any damage there, 
uh, basically we, we can't ship any product. And the other thing that they said in here too, uh, they're okay. They're in San Francisco. They're susceptible to, uh, to earthquake damage because they're in a earthquake sensitive area. Um, they talk about that. There could be a total loss to their distribution center. Uh, and the other thing they, they point out is they cannot assure you that we are adequately insured to cover the total amount of any losses caused by any of the above events. In other words, some sort of a flood or fire or earthquake. Uh, and they say we are not insured against losses due to interruptions in our business due to the damage to or destruction of our distribution center caused by earthquakes. Okay, so that's sort of a unique thing that they disclose there. And so it, when you go back, it, it, it's, and people have done some stories on this. Some people say, look, you know, and I do it too for, for our dog, we get uh, dog supplies. I mean, Costco delivers it to us if you order online and certainly uh, there's online pet stores that have become successful. Uh, if you ever Google why pets.com failed, there's, there's a lot of redux, uh, you know, looking back articles. And one of the interesting things was, uh, maybe they were just a little bit too early and there's now all these different things about distribution and cloud computing and any number of reasons why back in, you know, the late nineties, uh, 2000, it didn't work. So the other thing too, that you'll see on these S ones is you're going to see about the proceeds. And so sometimes they give you some insight into, hey, what, what are you guys going to do with the money? Uh, and so I think in Pets.com's case, they were going to use it for, most of these say, you know, working capital or other things. Uh, but that's, that's one of the things that uh, they, just, they put in there as well. The other part, and I'm trying to find it as we're, uh, as we're going through here. Okay, so one of the other strategic or risks that they talk about is, uh, go.com. Apparently they entered into a distribution agreement, uh, for go.com. Now, maybe you probably don't remember what go.com was. That was another internet portal, like similar to Yahoo or, uh, but I believe that was affiliated with Disney where they maybe did some, uh, they had a distribution agreement and promotions on go.com's online properties. So they said, you know, that's one of the risks. They also had an agreement with Amazon. I believe Amazon had a piece or a stake in pets.com as well. But the this was sort of interesting. They said, look, you know, the internet, uh, one of the risks is that you've got to have an internet that's up and, and whether or not that internet is a viable thing and somebody's got to maintain this internet. So, uh, but, so I, I'd encourage you to take a look at this. It's sort of fascinating. And you know, pets.com became a little bit of the poster child for the dot-com bubble uh, because they came out and literally the same year they came out, they wound up in bankruptcy. But it is a fascinating story. And if you go to, uh, I'm just going to go to it now, pets.com, uh, pets.com is, that's PetSmart. So if you type in pets.com, I believe it goes right to, uh, to PetSmart. Uh, so some people, you know, who maybe weren't around back then say, wait a second, when you type that in, it's a pet store. What are you talking about? It's the poster child of the dot-com era. Well, it's, uh, I believe they, they acquired the, the domain name in uh, some sort of bankruptcy proceeding. So, all right. So kind of wrap up this edition. It's, uh, you're hearing a lot of things about IPOs. You're hearing all sorts of news about 
and they call them unicorns, meaning it's, it's very different. It's uh, sort of a new thing. And this year, you're going to see a lot of those. So Uber is going to come out. At least they have plans to come out. Uh, Pinterest, Airbnb, I believe, is uh, is one of the ones that's that's going to go public. And so you've got this opportunity through this S1 filing to get a first look at what the company's financials look at, their risk factors, their balance sheet, maybe some strategy. And as we talked about in the case of Lyft, you actually get to see how many rides they did and what the value, you know, how many dollars per rider that they make and things like that. So uh, I'll link to a couple of those. Uh, again, by the time you listen to this, Uber's S1 should be out. So take a look at that. That will be that's a hotly anticipated S1 filing. And I'd encourage everyone, as I said a couple episodes ago, to if you're finding value in this and you think it's interesting, you know, rather than ask you to rate and, and you know put a review and things like that, just share it. Share it with someone that you know that might be interested in this type of content. I'd appreciate that. And look for part two of Jay and I's continued discussion around the myths behind the 60-40 portfolio. And we'll get into a little bit more on that. All right, everyone. We will see you next week. 